1: serve your country and we know you served us well. But now you're back and it's our duty to keep you safe and warm.
2: Shake your hand and welcome you back home with open arms. We're America, your family, the land of liberty. We're thankful for your sacrifice. you fight to keep us free. We are man. Truly do believe you're the backbone of our nation. Thanks to you, we're living free. We're a quilt of many colors, and we breathe red, white, and blue. We're America, your country, and America. Now, here is Gary Ray and this week's co-host.
1: Good morning and welcome to the American Heroes Network. Today is June 25th, 2013. That year's flying by, isn't it? I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host, Linda Crater, President and CEO for VeteranCaregiver.com. Why all of a sudden I have this taste for rhubarb and strawberry pie? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: no. I, I have to admit, I did exactly do that, and it's all consumed. <laughs> Did you know it's an excellent breakfast food? Oh, it is? Yes, absolutely.
1: All right. Well, how are you doing, Linda, this morning? I'm doing
3: just fine, thank (laughs) you. I think that's a first hallmark of summer, don't you think, a strawberry rhubarb pie?
1: It sure is. It sure is. You know, our guest today is a nationally known authority in the field of traumatic stress and PTSD, and her credentials speak for themselves. Linda, why don't you introduce our guest?
3: I am so excited to have uh, the Reverend Dr. Chris Parker with us today, and Chris, she has so many credentials that I don't know which one is the most important, but I do know that all of them added up together make for a compassionate expert and advocate in the field of PTSD and trauma in general, and I have been fortunate enough to be exposed to Chris's work as well as Chris as a person in terms of what she offers to our combat veterans their families, and even children. Her background is that of uh, trauma and burn victims, children in the burn unit at BAMSI. And I think we all know that trauma happens to you where you don't have control about it. But what Chris and a couple of her partners have been able to do is to bring together programs that teach that, yes, you may have had trauma in your life, but there are changes you can make There are ways to cope and manage, and there's certainly hope for a much brighter day where it doesn't control you, you control it. And Chris, welcome to our show today on the American Heroes Network.
4: Oh, good morning, Linda, and thank you. I'm just thrilled to be here, and I'm happy to have the opportunity to to just um, kick the subject around with you and Gary.
3: All right. It's excellent. Well, Chris and I met when, uh, as you know, we advocate for advocate for veterans with a lot of pts and ptsd issues and i met chris when she provided some personal guidance in how to communicate but what struck me as so differently is this holistic approach to ptsd you don't just manage it by throwing drugs at it you don't just manage it by saying it's in your head chris and her partners have taken an approach of biological factors psychological factors, and basing it with a theological foundation that there's something bigger that builds hope. And she has written a fantastic book, and maybe we can start with that, talking about your very excellent book for families, as well as combat veterans and others who've had trauma, called I Always Sit With My Back to the Wall. And I think those veterans who are listening today and their families certainly know that terminology.
4: Chris Tell oh, no, us a little bit don't. about
3: back to the wall. <laughs> you
4: know it didn't it didn't take much to uh, conceive of the title for the book. The book uh, was originally titled by my partner, the uh, very eminent psychiatrist Dr. Harry Croft, who is not only nationally but internationally known in this field he's had the opportunity to evaluate more veterans for PTSD than any other doctor in the United States and what he said was that the phrase that permeated more uh, of his examinations than any other was their answer when he said where do you usually sit in a restaurant and they would say I always sit with my back to the wall Mm -hmm. and that was what inspired um, the book what the book is designed to do is to bring a truly different approach to traumatic stress and PTSD I think we all have an idea we already come to this show equipped with an idea of what we've been told PTSD is in terms of this laundry list of symptoms you know it's kind of like a Chinese menu you pick one from column A and two from column B etc but you know that doesn't really help the average person very much uh, if they're wrestling with this problem we decided to approach it differently. Our approach is to uh, not look at symptoms. That's the doctor's business. Let's look at how PTSD lives and operates instead of looking at laundry lists. We break it down into where PTSD is really living in your life and we break that down in turn into four major relational areas where it affects your family, your social and relational life, your work, and your spiritual life, which by the way, isn't just limited to a religious life, but to the spirit of the human being, which is all of that Mm -hmm. invisible part of the human being that can't be seen, but is very, very real. Mm -hmm. And our program is designed to help people manage PTSD by really looking at where it lives and breathes in their life.
3: You know, Chris, one of the things that struck me when we first began talking to one another, I guess it's almost three years ago at this point, mm-hmm. was that one of the first signs of PTSD in a family were fractured relationships. Can you speak to maybe what people will recognize or maybe have never connected with being part of PTSD about oh, relationships? Absolutely.
4: Yes, this is becoming increasingly critical. Um, Currently, we see so many uh, warriors, returning warriors, as well as veterans, as, as therapists. Uh, we see these individuals and chronically hear the same thing. Um, what's going on in your life? Well, it, there's always a relational breakdown. And this is what, what Dr. Croft and I meant by let's look at the effect of PTSD, because if you look for the fracture, in your life you're likely to be able to trace it back to the cause and that cause may very well be PTSD but many people don't relate it to that right so what what happens is they suddenly find themselves incapable of, um, of uh dealing peacefully and and joyfully with their partner, their relationships with their children are fractured, their homes are are fearful, are anxious, are tense, may even be violent. And the last thing in the world that people associate this with is with PTSD, Mm -hmm. but that is very often the cause. And because people are not um, trained to look uh, at, the, at the underpinnings of the disorder, uh, they really are not making the necessary connections, and that's where we are so focused, is let's give people the understanding of where PTSD has its roots, then you'll be able to understand where it's expanding its outgrowth, which is into your family life. Um, this is where we really see the rubber meet the road with PTSD, is the destruction of family ties and that's critical because the, the family is the basis for our, uh, almost our entire psychological and emotional security and when that goes um, you know, down the drain uh, or into the toilet, then we're in big, big, big trouble.
3: Well, and what you're talking about is what we all see happening frequently. It becomes a spiral. Um, okay, this relationship isn't working, and so I'm going to move on and out, and the next time I'm going to be better. But unless they get to the root of why these things are happening, sometimes there's a repeat. I think we all know about certain um, service members who have a different spouse each deployment, mm-hmm. um, maybe children uh, with each one, and and again, it just spirals out of control. So what do you suggest to those? Where do they begin as they talk to people like you or to read the book and apply it to their lives?
4: Um, Linda, you've raised a really important issue um, which is the multiplicity of relationships and, and that really is part of the answer to the question you've just posed. If people think that the problem is in the relationship when it's actually in a disorder that is affecting the relationship then they are approaching it in the wrong way and this is this is the the basis of what you've been talking about which is people who just go on from one relationship to another thinking that's the answer what they need to do is take a step back and say what's causing the fracture in the relationship and where we always like to start at back to the wall um, and its companion program SFI spiritual fitness initiative is looking at where trauma and traumatic stress have its root and that is in the biological uh, and neurochemical makeup of the human being—that's really where we need to begin.
3: Now, see, this is what I love about this because for so long um, we've all heard mental health disorders—it's uh, in the DSM four slash five, etc. But can you explain? Um, because I find this absolutely fascinating, and I believe our audience will as well. What happens biologically to you in this condition with? PTSD, combat or otherwise, what happens biologically to a person?
4: Linda, um You've uh, hit on a very important point, which is that we've come to believe uh, a stereotype that PTSD is about behaviors that we choose, when in fact it's about hardwired response patterns in our hormonal systems that are neurochemical and that we don't actually have the power to choose or not choose. Nature has given us these hardwired patterns, to keep us alive in the most efficient way. And it's really not a conscious choice. It is a hardwired biological coping mechanism. Um, and it isn't what we have usually heard it described as uh, fight or flight. Those mm-hmm. are words that really aren't very accurate what we have done is I think pioneered a, a reinterpretation of traumatic stress as a hormonal response to our circumstances that tells the body it's gonna survive best it's, its odds of survival are most enhanced by either speeding up its metabolic responses or slowing them way down and I know that uh, we'll we will be coming up on a break in a, in a in a very short time and maybe we can discuss that more but I would like the audience to know more about how our metabolic uh, profile is related to PTSD and how it affects everything else in our life.
3: All right. Well, I I agree with you. One quick thing, Gary. Sure. Um, I am seeing finally that there are uh, webinars and, and literature is finally coming to light on these neuroendocrine bases that do uh, occur with PTSD. So what Chris is bringing is something that has really not been done or is just beginning to be done. So they were absolutely prescient with bringing it forward now. So I'm, I think that's a good idea to talk about it afterward.
1: Right. Well, it is time for take a short break. Chris, I'd like to find out if I could get a, a copy of your book a signed copy of your book. I'd like to learn more about
4: this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're happy to oblige you in that. Uh, Uh, Gary, anybody can get a signed copy of the book, uh, and I'll tell you, do we have time for me to tell you where where it can be obtained now?
1: Sure, go ahead. Uh,
4: Okay, our uh, website is www.mybacktothewall.com You may click on Get the Book, and we will send one out to you right away.
1: All right. I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda Carter. Uh, I'm sorry, Linda (laughs) Linda Carter is Superwoman. That's right. I was just wondering. (laughs) Well, you are a superwoman. I'll tell you that. (laughs) And our guest, Reverend Dr. Chris Parker, JD, and you're listening to the American Heroes Network, and we'll be right back.
2: you stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voice America.com. You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com.
1: Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with Reverend Dr. Chris Parker, J.D., and I'm learning a lot. I'll tell you that. This is a very <laughs> super interesting subject, and it's, uh, it's blowing me away. So, um, again... Linda, you want to go ahead and, and uh, sure. take Sure. I, I
3: think that what is so interesting is that I hope today that we're able to give some new light to PTSD. Um, everyone talks about it and everyone thinks about it in sort of a stereotypical way. And I have found that Back to the Wall and their approach makes it logical, understandable, and it can break it into parts that can be managed and, and coped with. So, Chris, can you go back into... Um, really two stereotypes, if you will, of people with PTSD and how it may present to those in the family. And so I think we will have a lot of recognition with these descriptions, but you do them so well. If you could explain those.
4: Sure, Linda, I'd be glad to. Linda, in in the course of working with thousands of people, uh, who have PTSD um, I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to look at and to compare what the physical similarities were or differences uh, were between these various individuals and to see what common trends were appearing while most people were looking at psychological issues I wanted to look at what physically is really distinguishing these people who get traumatized and and what are the patterns that we see I came up up with two patterns, which are very clearly outlined in our book, um, and so people can read all about this in greater detail, but let's just at least touch on the surface of this. The first pattern was one that I think that people are very familiar with, and I tend uh, to uh, relate it to the stereotype of people that are locked and loaded, and so that's the way we, we named it. We called it locked and loaded, but what it really is in biological terms is a an endocrine uh, speed up. It is a metabolic uh, speed up in the inside the body at the cellular level. This metabolic supercharged reaction occurs in circumstances where the body is itself aware that it's going to have to marshal uh, its assets to uh, uh, to use large muscle groups in acting. in in interface with what's threatening you. So in other words, you may have to fire your weapon, you may have to fight physically, you may have to run physically, you may have to do something with your muscles and when you have to do something with your muscles your body marshals a whole group of responses and those responses are chemically ordered. Now what we will tend to see is that uh, people with this profile are very uh, hyper aroused. They may be what we call a very tightly wired. They're very hyper vigilant, uh, very security conscious about their in environment. But the one factor that tends to really distinguish this uh, profile of uh, PTSD is that people expend energy outward. And that means that they get in other people's faces and other people's spaces. This is something that I think is, is a very disturbing to people that live with locked and loaded individuals or that are at work with them or in relationship with them. The other thing about these people is that they tend to, to keep moving all the time because their endocrine systems have gotten accustomed to... St- to uh, the supercharged response. It's as if the brain were telling the body if you stop moving, you're going to become someone's target, and therefore, the more you keep moving, the better chances you have of surviving. Well, Mm -hmm. that does just fine if you're in the combat theater. But once you're at home and your wife is saying, well, for Pete's sakes, would you please come and sit down on a sofa with your wife and kids for an hour and watch a movie? It becomes incredibly different, uh, difficult for these people to stop moving and start living at a slower pace. And their loved ones rarely understand why that is. They take it very personally and think it's about them. In fact, it's about the hormones in the body of the person that they are living or relating to. So that's one pattern of PTSD.
3: Can I stop um, you right there, Chris? Just absolutely. quickly, sure. one of the things that people say to us all the time is, "Well, I understand that this is PTSD that my husband or my son is, or my daughter is exhibiting, but but the family doesn't understand. Um, how do you what? tools do you think would help families to begin to understand what seems very logical? If your body is, is creating these hormones that are supercharging you and you're surviving that way, now that you're not in combat theater, what can you have the family do that may help support someone who's like this instead of just being overtly critical?
4: Well, I have a couple of suggestions. First of all, what families expect um, of a returned warrior or veteran is that their brain—and we, when I say the brain, of the thinking, rational part of the brain—is the decision maker. And what we want families to understand is that the rational part of your brain isn't necessarily uh, the, the one that's making the decisions. It's as though an entire di- entirely different decision-making process is going on in the body itself. So families need to understand there's two decision makers going on. And once they understand that and know that the body may be making choices all on its own, then they can stop taking these behaviors quite so personally. Uh-huh. Another hint that I have is if people will read the book together, even reading it with children if they're old enough, they're going to see this laid out in very, very simple terms. We have a way of, of, of helping people understand this as if your brain is like an office building. And we... We reduced it to concrete terms. We all understand how companies work in an office building. Who who runs the show? You know, who is the CEO? Who are the middle managers? Who are the little the little people that you don't notice that may be in the basement, but that may be doing all kinds of things that are very, very important and may even drive the show, but you don't realize they're there. The brain operates in the same way. And mm-hmm. we give people a way of understanding this, and we call it upstairs, downstairs. And when people sit down as a family to review this and learn about this it's like watching the lights go on and they say oh my gosh now i get it for the first time i get it
3: now what percentage of folks uh, and maybe you don't have this but i'm just curious what percentage of folks are in the locked and loaded the aggressive agitated the one that makes it into the movies
0: uh,
4: yeah, the ones that, that we all uh, see and hear about on the news. Exactly. Linda, I don't know that this has been uh, quantified um, across the general population. I can tell you that among the thousands of people that I have worked with, I have quantified it and I would say that about 33 to 35 percent fall in this category. It's definitely the minority. Mm-hmm. The majority fall into another category entirely that most people have never heard about.
3: Tell us about that one.
4: This is the one for which I think we've probably become best known uh, for giving people their the first knowledge they've ever had about a profile that we call hunkered in the bunker. This is a, a profile that affects Not just women, uh, although it's very, very common among women, and the vast majority of female trauma survivors will fall into this category. But it also affects men. Even you know, you know, big rough tough uh, uh, male warriors can uh, fall into this category. Hunkered in the bunker is a category of traumatic stress that is marked by people whose circumstances have. cause them to survive by, uh, by inaction or by immobilization. I'll give you an example. Um, uh, military snipers, I do a lot of work with uh, special operators in the military. Military snipers have to become very immobile in their work. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they'll disclose their positions. So they survive by mastering the techniques of slowing their metabolism down and by not moving because by not moving, they improve their odds of survival. Mm-hmm. This is an a great example of what a lot of people do. Not just warriors, but people in the home who, for example, may be subjected to abuse or violence and survive by hiding, by retreating. Um, There are many people who are uh, simply not able to overcome their circumstances physically. They may be um, in a a conflict where they're outgunned, they're outweighed. uh, They're simply uh, outmatched. And what the body says to them, ah, but if we stay very, very still and we are very, very quiet and we hide, our chances of survival will be better. The brain automatically knows when to slow down and stay put is the best chance of survival. These people have a very different chemical makeup than the locked and loaded type. So I'll just tell you a little bit about that if I may. Please. The, the hunkered in the bunker profile survives by slowing down and conserving energy. This is in contrast to the other profile where energy is really expended you know, in large amounts of, with, through physical action. Hunkered in the bunker people slow down and store their energy internally in the form of salt and water and fat and calories. They have elevated levels of certain hormones, such as cortisol, um, which creates a what we call a cascade of different effects. Um, Some of these effects are cardiovascular. Um, Some of them uh, have to do with weight gain and the effects to joints, um, inflammatory responses, the uh, tendency to become ill more often and and have a lower uh, uh, immunity to Mm -hmm. illness and, and disease. But the one thing that seems to unite this group of people is that they feel entrapped. Mm -hmm. These are the people who have to survive by sitting tight and essentially playing dead, whether that is physical or emotional. And they do that because they do not see another way out. The one thing that this profile is most confused with is depression. Mm-hmm. Because of the fact that depressed people tend to repeat, uh, retreat and withdraw, um, people will automatically assume that the person who demonstrates this profile is a depressed person when, in fact, they may not be. And this may be PTSD um, in its hunkered-in-the-bunker um, uh, uh profile. So this is one of the major things we want to get through to people that what you may think is depression may be something that's far uh, different than that and needs to be addressed in a different way.
3: All right. Well, and, and that's really important. I'm sorry, Gary, it's break time, isn't it?
1: It sure is. <laughs> be sure, be, this is very interesting. Be sure to check out our mobile sponsor, First Class Merchant Services. They are nationwide and they do provide veteran-run businesses discounts. Give Josh a call you have nothing to lose go to your smartphone and put in hero.ub1.co that's hero.ub1.co you're listening to the american heroes network powered by voice america on the variety channel and we'll be right back
0: Search Voice America at your favorite app store.
2: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into to American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program.
1: Welcome back, and again, it's nice to learn about this. I have two guys that come into my office about on a weekly basis, and I can tell you just what I learned, uh, you know, uh, but they're Vietnam vets. They went for 38, 40 years with PTSD and they're not recognizing it at all. I and mean, no one's telling them about it either. Uh, and that's the sad thing. Well, wow. you, you're ahead.
3: exactly right. And and that's why I'm, I'm asking Chris all of these questions that will hopefully help some of our audience to recognize themselves in it. Um, Chris, one word that you use that I think is so very much part of the military vernacular is security and security consciousness. Whether they're locked and loaded and walking point every night and checking the locks on the doors and the you know windows and where is everyone and are we safe um, is also shown by the hunkered in the bunker person by being agoraphobic, not leaving. Um, they're not engaging with others. Um, Is this part of the reason why people are not engaging? Linda,
4: it's it's exactly right, and you know, as you were making that last statement, my mind flashed to the illustrations that are in our book, mm-hmm. which are marvelous, marvelous cartoons that are drawn of these two profiles. And they were drawn by a U.S. Army military chaplain who himself is you know very experienced with PTSD and has drawn what the profile of these two uh, tendencies looks like. And when people open the book and they see it in, in the form of a picture, mm-hmm. they're their mouths drop open and they go, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I'm seeing. They had never seen it before in that way, and now all of a sudden it's right in front of them. It's two different ways of the body saying, I'm going to maintain my security. I'm either going to maintain my security by um, by remaining uh, uh, locked and loaded and ready to enter the fight at any any given second in time, and never stand down, never go into retreat. Or the other type of individual is the one who says, I'm going to protect my security by retreating permanently Mm -hmm. into a different life, into my bedroom, into my garage, into my basement, into a bubble that I maintain around myself where I basically stop reacting to the world around me. And this is what gets families so unwound because the people that they have come to expect as behaving in a certain way act very, very differently, and they don't know why. So when they learn that there's actually a chemical underpinning and that there are ways of dealing with this. There are ways of managing this once you know the problem. It really helps to instill hope in people. And they know that it's not just in your head, it's truly in your body. And when it's, we know it's in the body, then we can take steps to deal with it.
3: Well, and you know, I think it's so important to recognize these things because our Vietnam vets, for example, had a very different experience coming home then yes. our OIF, OEF, OND, um, PTSD is is spoken about but we have Vietnam Vets and, and Chris in your program, I have seen it happen with um, breakthroughs for Vietnam Vets who have been holding this inside for 38, 40 years Correct. and it's not just for folks now. I think you yeah. your work can truly help people across all of the conflicts and I do want to also bring up for those who may be listening that their, their family member, for example, may not have been in combat. Trauma is trauma. Um, I know you have spoken about burn patients in the past when we've had conversations, but a car accident, a trauma, caring for someone who has trauma, all of these things can bring on these types of behaviors. Isn't that true?
4: Linda, that's uh, exactly right. Trauma is not simply a warrior's issue. Um, It's the result of sexual assault, domestic violence, being a victim of crime, being uh, the victim of an accident or a disaster. Uh, Hurricanes, fires, tornadoes, all kinds of disasters. You've mentioned burns, and that's certainly a very acute form of trauma. Uh, Abuse in the home, uh, child abuse, whether it's verbal or physical, uh, is a major source of trauma. And very, very often, people have been abused, you know, in, in very early life and have never associated that early life experience with the traumatic symptoms that may not emerge for many years or even decades. It's also a result of medical conditions in which people are uh, entrapped or immobilized and must be treated and that happens to a lot of our vets and as you so properly mention, it happens to our family members, to the caregivers of those who have PTSD. In fact, recent research has shown that the risk of of developing full-fledged PTSD if you are a family member of someone who is in an ICU may be as high as 25%. Even the, the vulnerability of nurses and mm-hmm. other caregivers in the, medical, in the medical community to develop full-fledged PTSD is very, very high. And that extends to all sorts of and, and manner of caregivers. And this is what most family members don't realize, is they themselves may, may see a difference in their, in their family relationships or fractured family relationships, and they don't know why, and they may not realize that they, too, are involved in this cycle of PTSD because they may very well be developing it themselves and it also gets passed on to their children. So this is a very, very important topic for our society because it's going to become a major issue. And you're right, it isn't just about the warriors from the now generation. I've seen people that came back from Vietnam, Somalia, um, uh, other, other areas of the The Balkans, Gulf Wars? Right. The Gulf Wars, you bet. It's, it's, it's everyone's issue.
3: Well, and it's so important to address it because when it is not addressed, we do see the depression um, diagnoses. We do see the spiral of anxiety. We see the families breaking up, and and it spirals into homelessness and all of these very negative things. Whereas if people can understand a way to help themselves, I, I really believe that your programs, and there are two, and I'd like you to discuss them, provide access, empower people to actually find the answers themselves, to recognize and learn. I think it makes a big difference. So perhaps you can speak to a little bit of what the book will tell them and then also explain a bit about SFI.
4: Sure. I'd be glad to, Linda. You know, what you've pointed out is that PTSD is... uh no longer viewed as something that's in your head and so Mm -hmm. if we take an approach that only says here's a pill that is going to biochemically alter what's in your head um, it's not going to fix the problem Um, medicine is a good thing and it is necessary for many people but if that's your only approach it's not going to lead people to recovery the problem exists on many more levels than that so in answer to that my partners and I have created two specific programs for personal reempowerment, And I'll, I'll begin with the book since we've been talking about that. The book I always sit with my back to the wall is the one book that I think people have read among many, many excellent books that are out there. But I think that this one speaks in a different way to people because mm-hmm. it talks about very specifically how PTSD um, weaves its way into your life and they, uh, they see in the book and in the, the stories of soldiers and warriors that are quoted in the book with their permission, they see themselves reflected and people's response is usually, oh my gosh, I, I read the book and it was like for the first time I was reading an encapsulation of my own life. And they haven't read that right. before. So we give them the way to recognize when PTSD is in their life and to empower themselves through what we call the recover program the letters R-E-C-O-V-E-R stand for the first uh, word in the first uh, uh, the first letter of the first word of each chapter of the seven chapters (laughs) of the book and uh, it is a seven-step program for re-empowering yourself for uh, uh, organizing a comprehensive care plan and for understanding that that care begins with you Mm -hmm. we know that at least fifty percent of effective PTSD management um, is is uh, something that can be put in place through self-care, and we uh, we emphasize management. You know, cure is not necessarily the objective. Um, there are many people who say well I I, I can't be cured well the fact is that we know that many people can be cured of PTSD but cured isn't necessarily uh, what you have to strive for to regain a good life I'm gonna give you a simple example if you drive a car and it has an accelerator issue and so it doesn't go 100 miles an hour anymore but you restore 60 percent of that engine's capacity so that's driving 60 I think you'd agree that most of what you need a car for can, can get done in in very good order. And the human being is the same way. So what we do is we uh, show people how to restore personal authority and personal self-determination to how they manage PTSD. We show them how to recognize it, um, how to deal with it, and not only them, but members of their family, and very importantly, how to initiate their treatment process by Mm -hmm. giving them the knowledge that they need to have before they walk into a doctor's office. In fact, what we show not only through the book but its associated website, is how people can be be engaged in self-assessment. You know, we usually think that, well, that's the mental health provider's uh, uh, job. Well, it isn't just the mental health provider's job, it's your job because you're the expert on your life. They are not. Mm -hmm. So we show people how to self-assess and how to use the results of that assessment, both physical and emotional, and how to use that information and provide it to their mental health providers so that their mental and medical health providers will be more accurate in the way they diagnose you and in the way they prescribe medication, if that's necessary. So the book really gives you a huge number of tools to work with in every aspect of life uh, with PTSD. now, the, the second issue is, is what SFI deals with, and I think the best way to distinguish the two is that Back to the Wall has a great deal to do with how we relate to our relationships, to others, to family, to work, to, um, to our um, social lives, in other words, that which is outside of ourselves. But PTSD affects what's inside of ourselves. I'm sure you're seeing that in a lot of warriors. I would think that the inner the inner person is very very important.
3: Would you agree Absol- with that? Absolutely.
4: Um, I think we're going to be needing to take a break, Linda. So why don't we take this um, topic up and and we'll say more about this when we come back. Well, That's be terrific.
1: You. I'll tell you what, Chris. Why don't we just keep talking about it? We'll skip this break. This is too interesting.
4: <laughs> really? Well, yes, I'm wow. I feel, I feel Good that, Good you know, job. I feel like I'm uh, like the San Antonio Spurs going into overtime, but at any <laughs> oh, rate, dear. I have to do that. You know, yeah, no, San Antonio. Chris, keep going.
3: <laughs> on, on, oh, okay. yes, tell, us, definitely. tell us about SFI, the Spiritual well, Fitness Initiative.
4: While, ba- while Back to the Wall governs our outer relationships, SFI, the Spiritual Fitness Initiative, deals with our relationship to the inner invisible self. It may be interior where you know our, our eyeballs can't get a, a bead on it. it may be invisible where we don't see it in the exterior visible world but it is very real. Ask any uh, recruiter of Navy SEALs and he will tell you that what makes the difference between the person who um, has great capacity to cope and the person who does not isn't really their physical status, it's their internal uh, coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. The part of us that is spiritual that we talk about in the Spiritual Fitness Initiative is, it, it includes religion but it's a whole lot more. It's the part of us that goes above and beyond the limitations that the body places on us. You know, the, the part of us that's in the spirit and the soul isn't limited by arms and legs and, and rib cage and all these physical constraints. It is of infinite capacity. SFI is a way of exploring and restoring the individual's capacity to cope and to be competent. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that we see are present in virtually all human beings. And once again, you know, the the capacity to cope and to be competent is actually hardwired in us um, in, in in a biological way. So we know that if it's present in virtually all people, what we need to do is explore where it's coming from, and how it evolves in us so that we can build on it and rely on it. You know, I hear a whole lot of people that go through, you know, these, these briefings and these programs that just say, well, go forth and get yourself support. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's I've just heard not that enough.
1: Too.
4: People right. don't know, well, what kind of support do I need and why do I need it? Well, unless you know what sort of inner rod is supporting you inside then you don't know number one what you've already got to work with and number two if if there's some need or some growing edge that needs to be filled in that system you're not going to know what kind of support you need to go out and find. SFI is what helps people to do that and the thing that really distinguishes it is that we help people to reach those answers in an experiential way And I I know that you've had exposure to the experiential nature of our program because it's not some, you know, digital slideshow. It is a way of helping people interact with others and with themselves.
3: Well, I watched it change lives over the space of three days. I watched people who had never recognized the things that you're talking about suddenly self-identify and then bond with those who obviously had gone through some of the same things. And I think one of the underlying bits of a spiritual foundation, no matter how you define that, is the concept of hope. Can you speak to that?
4: Absolutely. Uh, I think we, we deal with hope really at two ends of SFI. One is that we as the creators and directors of SFI have hope uh, from the get-go going in. So when we begin to work with individuals and groups, we approach them with a totally different attitude than they may receive um, from, for example, um, mental health providers or other types of providers that are focused on their incapacity. We approach them with the idea that we are hopeful about you because we believe that hardwired uh, by the creator in each one of you is the capacity to, to cope and be competent. Now, how does that relate to hope? hope as we define it is enormously critical because it really boils down to the recognition of the human being that there is possibility for change. Mm-hmm. When people feel hopeful, what they say is I I to themselves, I realize that my life is not entirely about what's just right in front of me in this one moment of time. It's it's like the spiritual Hope is spiritual because it's more than about what you see in front of you, what you can see and touch and feel in a concrete way. It extends to what you don't see but what you recognize is real and that is the ability for things to change. What those who become suicidal um, have is the absence of hope because they see their lives as being incapable of change. And and since there is no change in their belief structure, they believe the only remedy for that is to exit. Um, SFI uses hope as the antidote to that because when you really understand or come to the belief that change is possible, you've done a very critical thing. You've changed yourself from being in a state of helplessness to a state of empowerment. Right. If, if, you're, if you are no longer uh, a person who believes himself to be helpless, you have, by definition, stopped being traumatized. Because uh, PTSD and trauma are, by definition, states of helplessness. Mm-hmm. So what SFI does in connection with hope, and I think Back to the Wall does too, is to say that, um, you know, there's an inside tool in every one of us, which is hope. It can never be taken away from us like a gun or a knife or a hammer. It can never be removed from us unless we allow it to be. It's not like a physical tool, because it's inside us. It is always available. It goes with us everywhere we go, and as a result, hope is the one thing. I think it is the one most critical element. You know, Linda, I've had 16 years of graduate post and grad, postgraduate education in mental health, and I have yet. To have a course that has mentioned hope.
3: Interesting. As an element,
4: therapy and recovery. If the fundamental belief that you can recover and experience change in your life isn't there, how, how can we expect people to, to recover?
3: Hope well, is essential. You, you, you bring up such an interesting point because oftentimes with PTSD, it becomes an atmosphere of dependency. You must speak to this person. You must take these drugs. You must follow this regimen, etc. What you're instead talking about, if I can paraphrase this, is you're taking those to whom I, I'll, I'll call it not a warrior culture, but a can-do culture, a can-do culture, and restoring the power that they have to make the change. So trauma happens to you without your control, but your ability to cope, and to make positive changes for the better based on hope, based on biology, based on your understanding of PTSD, restores independence, which really is without price.
4: You know, exactly. And I think independence is a wonderful word for that type of inner competence. I will put it to you this way, Linda. You know, as we've said um, earlier in the program, pills are important. And I'm not saying yes. that they should not be used we in, agree. Work in collaboration with, you know, physicians and surgeons and, and all of that. But this is what I have most learned, most, most profoundly learned, not only in my work here in the United States, in the rear, but also in deployment um, uh, to the combat theater. And that is this pills cannot change your outer circumstances. They may do something to your inner chemistry, but they are not going to change the environment that you live in. Therefore, we must rely upon something that is inside of ourselves. If we truly want to be independent of changing circumstances, you know, circumstances will blow like the winds and -hmm. they will change on a daily basis. So if we allow our own mental status to be completely um, changed at will by our circumstances, then we'll wake up a different person every day, Mm -hmm. and that is intensely unsettling. And what we believe is that by really emphasizing internal competence, the the feeling of, of knowing inside yourself that pretty much no matter what comes your way. You're going to be able to control at least one thing, and that is your attitude um, and your approach to the circumstances around you, no matter what those circumstances are. You know, this really goes back to the lessons that Viktor Frankl taught us in Man's Search for Meaning as he was in Auschwitz, and he learned that he could never control his circumstances, but he could control his attitude toward them. And I believe that this is intensely necessary. And it needs to be a part of every mental health program that deals with trauma.
3: Well, you, you bring up a huge point. Comprehensive care, by definition, would be everyone's on the care team. So as you say, the doctors and the pills may be necessary. But taking the understanding and the education to learn about PTSD instead of just relying upon what's in the news or, or what people are telling you the empowerment part goes a long way towards making people feel as though their life is really worth uh, living again. I, I like to describe it to taking a, a life that's black and white and turning it into color. Absolutely. And, and it, it really makes a big difference. We all know what those gray, gray gloomy days are like. And when the sun comes out, there's right. your hope.
1: All right. Well, we only well, have about a minute left. So what I'd like to do... <laughs> sorry, if, Gary. It's okay. Uh, if I could just uh read you a quote that i took off uh, of uh, chris's website it says remind yourself that you matter you matter to us and to millions of others who have shared your journey through traumatic stress you may trust us when we assure you that a life better and more abundant than the one you are already living is possible we will be there to help you uh i can't wait can you overnight my book
4: Oh, with pleasure, <laughs> Gary. <laughs> well, Free postage. <laughs> uh, all
1: right. Sounds good to me. Anyway, we, like I said, we only have a little bit left, and, and uh, we, I'd like to thank Reverend Dr. Chris Parker, J.D., for being with us today. Chris, what would you like to share with our listeners in closing?
4: Gary, in closing, I'd like to share with listeners a way to get a hold of us personally. And and that doesn't mean you're getting a hold of a back office somewhere. That really does mean you're getting a hold of me and my partners personally. People may go to uh, the website www.mybacktothewall.com. And if they will scroll down. The very first icon they see on that website will be a red shield with a a live oak tree in the center. It says SFI. They can click on that and they'll be guided to how they can get
3: into our web portal and get on our newsletter.
1: Right. Linda, Linda, do you have any closing remarks?
3: No, I just hope that we've been able to shed some light on a topic that somehow has remained
1: a little too mysterious. It was very, very interesting. And again, this is Gary Ray along with Linda Crater and her sister, Linda Carter, uh, <laughs> signing off. And thanks for listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Have a great week.
2: Thank you again for joining us for this week's edition of American Heroes Network. Please join Gary Ray and his co-host again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.